Chronicles. 2 Chronicles, uh, verses 16, uh, 9 is our main passage. So if you'll stand, we'll uh, read that uh, one verse, and then um, we'll have a seat. So 2 Chronicles 16, 9. 2 Chronicles 16, 9. Thank you, Brother Brian. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. You have done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have wars. Let us pray. God, thank you, Lord, so much for uh, your house being open this morning. And the time that uh, we can come and open your word this morning, and we can dive into your word this morning. And we're going to look at a, at a man named King Asa, and um, not a very popular man. Not a very one that is, makes it into our childhood uh, books and stories, but he has valuable lessons for us. So I thank you, Lord, for each one here. I thank you, Lord, for each one uh, watching this uh, online. And just I pray that you be with us so that we have our minds and our hearts open for the challenges that we have ahead of us in your word. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Yeah, please be seated. <clears throat> All right. So for the eyes of the Lord... Run to and fro throughout the whole earth. So, Brother Brian, if you could throw up a picture here and everybody open your wallets, we'll segue. Oh, wait, where I did the offering time on, didn't we? All right, so everybody, everybody, if you have a dollar bill, feel free to take out your, your wallet and uh, pull out a dollar bill. But on the back of the dollar bill, there is this symbol here. Anybody ever noticed it? Everybody's like, it's just green. It's all that matters to me. I don't look, I don't look at what's on it. Lots of money, <laughs> right? So, but this symbol here is what was on America's seal, okay? And uh, originally, uh, back in 1776, on, on America's seal, and this is called the Eye of Providence, okay? So a few things about this Eye of Providence. Um, of course, you can see, like, the, the pyramid there. You'll notice that there's, uh, you may or may not notice, but you can count it later whenever you get your dollar bill out, that there's 13 rows in that pyramid for the 13 original states of the country. You'll see the Roman numerals at the bottom of the pyramid is 1776. And you'll see, now I'm not really good at, at my, my French here, but uh, annuet copidus. All right, so that phrase there uh, means to nod or assent or favor or to smile upon. And then on the bottom, the novus orju seculorum. I just tried to say that fast. All right, it means new or novel or new order, or ages, or generation, or centuries, right? So when you combine all of this together, um, it essentially rolls up into, may God have favor on our new American era commencing in 1776. So that eye of providence, wanting the God watching over our country as we began our new journey in 1776. And I share that to, to get us started because God is always watching. No matter what we do, no matter what choices we make, God is always watching us. And in our scripture that we read here, it was near the end of King Asa's time. Um, and he didn't end well. And we'll get to that. But there's a lot of good lessons that we can get from King Asa. So today's title of the message is King Asa's Aces, all right? King, aces, aces, all right? So anybody play poker? Aces, four aces, all right? All right, so 
King Aces, Aces. We've got four things I want to take away uh, for you guys to take away today from this message. And um, so let's go to 2 Chronicles 14, and we're going to read through that. So definitely open your Bibles there. Uh, leave it open. We're going to read through a majority of this story, which encompasses two chapters. Uh, but we're going to we'll skip a few. We'll, we'll stay on a few passages. But let's go ahead and dive right into this here in 2 Chronicles chapter 14. 2 Chronicles 14. It says, Abijah slept with his fathers, he passed away, and they buried him in the city of David. And Asa, his son, reigned in his place. In his days the land had rest for ten years. And Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. What, what did he do? In the eyes, right? What we just talked about. He did what was good and right in the eyes of his Lord God. He took away the foreign altars and the high places and broke down the pillars and cut down the ashram and commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to keep the law and the commandment. He also took out of all the cities of Judah, the high places and the incense altars, and the kingdom had rest under him. So his first ace was purging idols. He purged the land of the idols. He did these five things, right? He wisely used the peace to purge the idolatry that had crept into Judah. So Asherah uh, refers to the representations of a Baal goddess. And so he was purging the land of all of these false idols. And I got to thinking, what would our towns look like if we didn't have any idols? I tried to look up the Las Vegas Strip without any lights right? There are different things, but I think about the things that are idols in our country, but not in our country, but in our towns. What are some of those, right? We talk about the money, we talk about the riches, we talk about the cars, we talk about fame. The, the cars, for example, my youngest son, he is a sports car, not connoisseur, or he doesn't like, you know, he's not a big guru, know the years and all that stuff, but when he sees a nice fancy sports car, he's like, ooh, daddy, look at that one, right? So he's going to like yeah, he wants one of them nice, fancy sports cars, right? But we see those, you know, do we make those uh, idols? Also, the other thing, and it started, a lot of us were happy that college football started. The NFL was um, starting, but what? Sports can be an idol in our lives, right? Do you remember a time when the church was the center of the community instead of the football field, right? There's a place for sports, there's a place for fun, there's a place for cars, but is it the number one spot? Is it the center, right? Is it the center, right? So how well do we get rid of those idols? There's, there's a little test here. If you haven't, I like tests, I don't know. I guess it's because it's a challenge and it's, and it's a time to challenge ourselves and get better. But so think about something that you feel might be more of an idol in your life than it should be. And there's three small tests that I want to share here with you. And the first is the test of time and attention. If you don't know something is an idol in your life or not, or does it have first place in your life or not, then you can use these three small tests to help answer that question. And the first one is time and attention. How much time, devotion, and unquestioned loyalty do I give this thing? How much time? Do I give this thing? How intensely am I devoted to it? Am I loyal to it? And then how much time and money go to this idol at the expense of other things? One time I, heard, I remember uh, reading that it said 
Well, if you want to know what's important in your life, just take out your checkbook and put it all in little categories. Where does it all go? Right? Where does it all go? The second test, the test of willingness to question and evaluate. Now, this one hurts sometimes, but do I ever and am I willing to step back and question my loyalty to this thing? To ask where the line is between am I interested in something versus am I worshiping something? There is a line there where it goes from yes, I like it or yes, it's a hobby versus yes, it's my number one priority in my life. And then the third is the test of comparative devotion. For example, loyalty and devotion to Jesus Christ. Am I devoted to Jesus Christ? And if I evaluate my interest, if I evaluate my time, if I evaluate my money about the intensity of attention, again, what comes up on top of that list? Where am I putting my interest? Where am I putting that? Whatever is at the top of those lists that you just made, if it's not God, then you might have an idol that we need to purge in our lives. Right? I'm not going to sit here and tell you that everybody's got one or what it is because it's different for everyone. Brother Brian was talking to me this morning. He's talking about, you know, he's worked from home for, you know, a lot of us have since March. You know, I've worked a day or two at home since March. And working from home is just odd. It's different. But I've got to realize that what I've looked at, what takes my number one priority is that stupid work to cell phone thing again. Because when I work from home, you, you, there's no set break. It's like it just keeps coming. And, and Brother Brian said, it feels like it works more now. And a lot of times you don't know because 5 o'clock when you work from home, it's just, a, it's just another number on a clock. There's no physical separation. So for me, in my moments of, of looking at this word and challenging myself, it was I have to differentiate. I have to change it have to flip the switch right on those second corinthians 13 5 says this it says examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith test yourselves or do you not realize this about yourselves that jesus christ is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test so what idols in your lives do you need to purge because king asa his first ace was to purge the land of the false idols. Let's go back to 2 Chronicles. Chapter 6, 14, excuse me. Chapter 14, verse 6. He built fortified cities in Judah, for the land had rest. He had no war in those years, for the Lord gave him peace. And he said to Judah, Let us build these cities and surround them with walls and towers, gates and bars. The land is still ours because we have sought our God, the Lord our God. We have sought him, and he has given us peace on every side. So they built and prospered. And Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah, armed with large shields and spears, and 280,000 men from Benjamin that carried shields and drew bows. All these were mighty men of valor. Okay? So our second ace that he had, he sought the Lord. He sought the Lord. That is our second ace. All right. He sought the Lord. And when he did this, what came? What came? Do you see it? When they sought it, what came? Prosperity, peace. Right? They had what they needed when they focused on God. And they sought after him. 
right? When we seek God, we find that peace can only come through Him. And then we can build up our defenses when we rest in Him, right? All right, so who can tell when they're getting sick? Who can tell when they're getting sick? Before they're sick, right? Pam, I don't know if it's too personal of a question, but how do, how do you know? Yeah, how do you know? Start feeling down and drained. You feel like you're just not quite yourself, right? So um, Renee, had a, Renee had a funny one. She said, my scalp starts to hurt, right? And that was one of hers, right? Um, one of mine and is, is I, know, I have sinus stuff, sinus crud stuff, right? So I know when I start tasting funny, right? That's one of mine, you know, when I know that I'm getting, starting to get sick and something's coming on. But when we feel that, when we feel those symptoms coming on, what do we do? Do we just keep going and then hope it'll go away? I used to do that. It didn't work too well, right? Because in the following week, then I need the full antibiotic because I didn't give my body a chance to, to knock it out. But when we feel those things coming on in our lives, right, or on our bodies, we should take that time to rest, drink the fluids, give our body what it needs, because God has designed us to to really heal ourselves on the inside. It's amazing what our body can do if we give it the time and the rest that it needs. Right? So we have to always be prepared and, and, and take that time um, to take care of our bodies because we know when it's coming. Now that's in the physical sense. But do you ever feel something coming on um, in the spiritual sense? Or someone's challenging you? You ever felt that? Someone's saying something to you or looking at you in a certain way and, and, and they're really challenging you. I, I had a situation come up this week and um, I've had a few people in and out on vacation at the plant. So uh, Thursday I made it a, a point to, to get out on the floor and, and talk to people and, and, and see how they were doing. And uh, it didn't take long. It didn't take long because the first lady I walked up to, she was almost in tears. And at first I was like, uh-oh, what happened? <laughs> you know, I was, I, was, I was pretty much caught off guard. And th this lady was in tears because the lady before her called her a liar because she didn't do something from that she was supposed to do from the shift before. Okay. And the lady just missed it. She didn't know that she was supposed to do it. And um, I was like, well, okay, let's just, well, she called me a liar and I didn't know it. And, and I was like, I felt very spiritual. This is not too spiritual, but you'll see the connection. I was like, well, Miss Caroline, what's the truth? Did you just miss it or did you lie about it? What's the truth? All this stuff going through my head, this truth will set you free. I was like, I was inside, but, but I, was, I was like, this is not a, this is not a spiritual side of the conversation, right? But I was like, I'm speaking from the word of the Lord, so I know this is the right thing, right? And I was like, what's the truth? She goes, well, I forgot it. I was like, well, I'll make mistakes. And I was like, and this, I don't know if this was good advice or not. I haven't even run this by Renee yet. But I was like, you just need to be a wet duck. And she looked at me, a wet duck? What in the world are you talking about? At least I got her mind off what her issue was. But I was like, you need to be a wet duck. Well, the other day, Renee challenged, this is the beauty of homeschooling, Renee challenged the kids and she goes, you know, how come they, you know, their feathers, you know, their bodies don't get wet and get cold? And it's because the water just runs off the feathers of the duck, right? And so I was like, when people... Right? Say those things. If it's not the truth, you just got to let it roll off. Right? Right? So um, she calmed down. Right? But you got to see how she was so tore up. And, and I know we've all been there. 
Because one of the hardest things that I struggle with is if somebody calls me a liar, but I know what the truth is, but the truth doesn't line up with what they want it to be. Right? They line, don't line up, and then so it makes you look bad or feel bad, but that is what the truth is. So we have to be ready, and we have to make sure that we're prepared to fight those physical battles and fight those spiritual battles that come up in our lives. Um, turn with me quickly over to Colossians 3. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 2. So we have to be ready. We have to seek the Lord. So how do we seek the Lord? King Asa sought the Lord. How do we seek the Lord? Colossians 3, verses 1 through 2 says this. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on these things that are above, not on things that are of the earth. Talked about cars, talked about money earlier, whatever your idols may be. Guess what? God doesn't care what kind of car you drive. He cares about how you use it. Hey, Greg, Huff ain't here. So if the Chevy's got to pull the Dodge, hey, so be it, all right? He doesn't care what car you drive. Hey, if you got to help a brother out, help a brother out. It don't matter what kind of car you got. <laughs> it doesn't matter what car you drive. But does a buddy need a lift, right? If he's out, give him a lift, right? If you got a little extra income, what are you going to do with it? Are you a good steward of your money, Right? Or is it something that you want to hoard? And there's a whole other parable about that. But how do we seek the Lord? We have to make sure that we are looking at the things that God wants us to look at. We're seeking those heavenly things, not those earthly things. So aces, ace number two was seeking the Lord. Okay. All right, back to our main passage in 2 Chronicles 14. Go down to verse 9. It says, Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots and came as far as Maserai. And Asa went, out to meet, Asa went out to meet him. And they drew up their lines of battle in the valley of Zepathath. I should, I should have practiced this section a little more. At Merash. And Asa cried to the Lord his God, O Lord, there is none like you to help. Between the mighty and the weak, Help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on you. And in your name we have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. So the Lord defeated the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Anybody ever feel outnumbered? Outnumbered, outmanned? Right? World's against you? Want to come on that one here in a minute? But outnumbered. So if you got the numbers in the section above, how many did uh, Asa had? He had 300,000 plus 280,000, so he had a little over 500,000 warriors. He came up against the Ethiopian army, and how many did they have? A million. Okay? So two to one. They're outnumbered two to one in battle. Right? And the Ethiopian army has chariots. That's like tanks in the day, back in the day here, okay? So you're outnumbered two to one, 
and your enemy's got tanks and you got a spear, how you feel? I don't feel it's sick, yes. <laughs> you feel that sickness coming on, don't you, Jeannie? Feel that sickness coming on, right? But, but look with me again in, in verse 11. This prayer is awesome. Look at this prayer. Huff asked, you know, last week, uh, the passage in Isaiah to commit to, to memory. Th this prayer right here is another beautiful one. I'm going to read it again. Chapter 14, verse 11. And Asa cried to the Lord his God. O Lord, there is none like you to help. Between the mighty and the weak, help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on you. And in your name we have come against this multitude, O Lord. You are our God. Let not man prevail against you. It's beautiful. Only God can help us. Only God can help us. All right, so that ace, this is the third ace, and it comes from this section. He cried and relied on and to the Lord. Did you get that? He cried and relied. Did you see that in there? It says right there in verse 11, He cried to the Lord his God. And then later on down it says, O Lord our God, for we rely on who? Him. We rely on God. He cried out to God and he relied on Him. Right? As he was outnumbered. When he said here, when he said here um, also in this passage between the mighty and the weak, it, it made me go to 1 Samuel, uh, you can flip with me there if you like, 1 Samuel 16, 7. 1 Samuel 16, 7. And this is where um, Samuel was trying to find the new king and he found David. In 16, 7 it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Remember the eye of providence? We see different things and how different places or different things, how things are going, different things. But what does God, does God see that? Yes. But what also does God see? From this passage, he sees what's going on in our hearts, right? He sees that. He sees that. So would you agree now that, so, so God sees that, but then we also in this passage, he's going against his enemy, the Ethiopian army. And we have our own enemies, right? Do you know that our, all of our enemies can be grouped into one of three sections? All of our enemies can be grouped into one of three sections. It's either the world, the devil, or our flesh. Okay? Think about those. Three big categories. The devil, the world, or our flesh. All right, so from the world perspective, remember... Actually, let's, let's flip over to this passage first because um, we'll get there. Let's see. Ephesians 6.12. Ephesians 6.12. It says, For we do not wrestle against the flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So the world here, it's not talking about the other people of the world. Those aren't our enemies. Our brothers and sisters that we live with in this world are not our enemies. But it's more about the culture and the 
philosophical systems, right, that turn our attention toward the world and away from each other and the needs of what it is. The world here is much more about how we think about it. You've heard the lenses. Like what kind of lens do you look through? Do you look through it with a biblical lens? We have to be careful of the world that we live in. Our second enemy is the flesh. Not necessarily the, the skin and bones of the flesh, right? But when you come to know Jesus Christ, you become a new creature in life, right? You become a new creature, right? But there's still parts of our past that kind of hang on and they, they plague us. And we don't change overnight. We have to continue to battle that flesh. And sometimes it's our own worst enemy. Ever been on a diet? Ugh. I told Joe, I told you yesterday that, man, I think if I was going to gorge myself, it would be like on 10 donuts and Krispy Kreme donuts, the hot fresh sign now, hot lot. You know, my buddy got an app, Krispy Kreme app, and so it'll track your location. And if you go by Krispy Kreme and the red light's on, it'll, the red light on the app will come on so you know they're hot and fresh. But it's been many years since I've had one of those. But if I was going to splurge... That would probably be what it was on. But it's hard. We become our own worst enemy because it's discipline to make those choices. But man, when we make those choices, we, we do feel better about ourselves because sometimes we eat stuff that makes us not feel well. It tasted good, but sorry, I just made eye contact with Greg. And just so you know, Jules closed last week, so they're closed for the season. So missed it. So that's sad too. Right, but, you know, we got to make, sorry, that's total rabbit hole. All right. Get back. The flesh is weak. Flesh is weak. Stay strong. Right? So the world, the flesh, right? and, then, and then back to some serious here. But the third one is, is the devil. Right? He's the third enemy that we face. And uh, I found this. Um, it says, Satan loves two kinds of people. Let's make sure we're not in any of these categories. Satan loves two kinds of people. He loves the skeptics and those who doubt his existence and believe there is nothing beyond the visible natural world. So he doesn't exist. He loves you if you're a skeptic. He also loves you if you're a superstitious person who sees a demon behind every bush. See the two extremes and believe that everything that's bad happens is satanic. See the two different extremes there, right, from those? He wants... He either wants to blend in and be invisible or he wants to have all of your attention and focus. But either way, he wins of those. Right? But either way, he wins. Right? But of all of these three enemies, they combine with different tactics to get us. Okay? All right, so I have an illustration. I'm going to carefully go get this. So, anybody ever had to use one of these? Oh, yeah. Have I used one of these? Yeah. Right? So, Satan will set a trap for us, right? He'll set a trap for us. And we know what our weaknesses are. We know who our enemies are, right? You set that trap? Yeah, I'm going to do it. So, you set that trap? Right? And it'll get you. It'll get you. The only thing worse than getting stuck in a trap is getting stuck in a trap you knew was there. Right? 
And sometimes traps come in this size. And sometimes, sometimes they'll set big traps for you. I'm going to do it. But I'm going to do it safely. Brother Randy, safety first. <laughs> so sometimes you get a really big trap. All right? So, oh. Any volunteers? I'll probably have one. I knew you would do it. You want to do it? Is it all right? Come on, let's do it. You got to wear these glasses, though. No, he's got to use the pencil. Got to use the pencil. All right, there's your glasses. All right, there you go. And right there, but keep your finger back. Go ahead, just hit it harder. It's okay, it won't bite you. Go ahead. I thought it was broke. Thank you. All right. I was surprised it didn't break. Thank you. I figured he would probably volunteer to do that. All right. But we have to be very careful not to fall in the trap set by our enemies. Everybody get it? You're going to take that one home. Caitlin's like, <gasps> I put my glasses back on. I'm at work, Randy. I put my glasses back on. All right. But he sets traps for us, and we have to watch out for those traps. So that's the, um, that's the third ace, that when we know that there's trials and temptations in front of us, what should we do? Resort to our own power and our own weak flesh? No. We should cry and rely out to our Lord to do that. Let's continue on. 2 Chronicles 15. We'll skip to there. 2 Chronicles 15. The Spirit of God came upon Azariah. He's a prophet the son of Oded. And he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. All right? So think about that phrase right there. I don't like it when it says he will forsake you because God will not forsake you. But the key here is if you don't stretch out your hand and say and cry out to God, help me, save me, it then becomes sadly our choice. And that's where the name of our, on the church sign comes from. That's where free will comes from. It is each man's, it is each woman's choice to choose that relationship with Jesus Christ. Not because their mom did it. My mom's here, by the way. Not because their mom did it, their dad did it. Right? Not because of that. It's each person's individual choice to have that relationship with Jesus Christ. Verse 3. For a long time Israel was without the true God and without a teaching priest and without law. But when in their distress they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought Him, He was found by them. In those times there was no peace to Him who went out or to Him who came in. For great disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the lands. They were broken in pieces. 
nation was crushed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them with every sort of distress. But you take courage and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. Now, I never want to encourage anyone to take anything out of context. That's why we're looking at this whole story. But verse 7 there is another wonderful verse. I feel another wonderful verse when you're going through trials or temptations to commit that verse to memory. But you take courage. Do not let your hands be weak for your work shall be rewarded. It's beautiful. And it's a promise that God gives to us and it's consistent throughout scripture. We may want our reward in the terms of a big check or we want our rewards in a big bass boat or we want our reward, you know, name whatever your other idol may be but our reward should be in heaven not anything that's earthly and I tell you I've challenged um, myself and, and family this this week to kind of reach out we, we have unofficially started a, a pizza ministry right just um, you know go out and hand, hand out a few pizzas ask my, 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 my question is not getting too deep yet but what can I pray with you about what can I pray for you about there's been a few good conversations just in the first time that we did this and even the gentleman that we met at the boat ramp yesterday you know he's a law officer and he Jefferson County loves the area loves the community I was like your brother's anything I can help you know or pray with you about and he said uh, my ticker man my ticker right you know my ticker you know my, my heart's not doing good and everybody has a need everybody has a need to cry out and rely on the Lord. So ask people. Take courage. Ask people. Pray with them. You'll be surprised some of the answers that you get. I'm sure that I'll run into a person one day that doesn't want to talk about it, doesn't want to pray about it. Chances are they'll just say, nah. But you're not going to get... Well, I, can't, I got to put a disclaimer here, but... I don't think the Lord will let you get cussed out. The Lord's not going to let you get beat up. The Lord's not going to do that. Because all you're saying is, hey, brother, can I pray for you anything? You're not, you're not being aggressive. You're not forcing Christ down their throat. But what you are doing is saying, hey, I care. I serve a God that cares. I serve a Savior that heals. Right? That's all you're saying. So that's a challenge. So take courage. Do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. Let's carry on. Verse 8. As soon as Asa heard these words, the prophecy of Azariah, the son of Obed, he took courage and put away the detestable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities that he had taken in the hill country of Ephraim. Right? So bam, right there. There were still a few idols. He went out from the city that he'd done this just in chapter 14. He went out to a greater land and he continued to purge those idols from that town. Verse 12. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all of their heart and with all of their soul, but that whoever would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, should be put to death, whether young or old, man or woman. They swore an oath to the Lord with a loud voice, with shouting, with trumpets, and with horns. I don't want to get too deep on this part, but this kind of goes back to the free will part. They were so gung-ho for God. They were so gung-ho for Jehovah, Jehovah Raka that they legislated it. Essentially, that's it. They legislated it right here. 
They, they were so, so in it. And then it goes back to, I, I like the Reformation stuff. I like the fact that, you know, some churches get too legislative. I like the fact that it is a one-on-one decision for you. And I've, I just said that. I talked about the, the free will Baptist. It's each person's choice here. But that's one of the things that I got out of this. And then it says, And all Judah rejoiced over the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart, and had sought with him their whole desire. And he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest again all around. They sought the Lord, he gave them rest. This passage gives us our fourth ace from King Asa. And that is continuous recommitment, commitment to the Lord. We should always evaluate our lives, right? We should, we should take that courage. He took inventory of his country. He listened uh, to the prophet. He took inventory of people around him, and he recommitted himself to God. And I think that we should do that, you know, almost daily. <laughs> you know, we should look at ourselves daily and say, how can I get, um, how can I do what God wants me to do? How can I grow closer to Christ? Not be a better person by the world's standards, but what do I, how can I shine that light of Christ down there? Who needs that help? And if you listen to Christ and you ask Him for those opportunities, He will give them to you. All you have to do is ask. Um, you know, with the safety glasses at work, and, and this is kind of the year-end cycle, anybody have their annual, annual reviews at work? Yeah, it's called, it's called PMDs. Performance management document at my place. I don't know what anybody else calls them. But, you know, you go through those uh, exercises and you evaluate where are your strengths and where are your weaknesses and, and what do you need to get better at and what are you doing good at or who could you coach this on or, or what training class do you need to go through because you want to become a better employee for your employer. But just like we're working for, for God above, we want to become better Christians and live more efficient lives for Him I want to flip over to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 11. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 11. I'm sure many of you have heard this passage. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11, it says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Now what do we start with? We started with the eye of providence. We start with that eye of providence. Here's another verse. See how this theme goes through Scripture. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who must give an account. We looked at this Wednesday night. God sees it all. God sees it all. Open doors or closed doors, God sees it all. And we all have to answer to him one day when we give that account. So we should always take and look at our lives against the lens of this scripture and see where we fall short and continue to lift each other up, get better, encourage each other, find some accountability, whether in your house or uh, with a friend or family member. Just, hey, I need some help on this. Hey, if I say this, can you call me out on it? But if you ask them that, be prepared. Because a good accountability partner will call you out because that's their role. But if you seriously want to get better with something, that's how it's done. Okay? So, King Asa has four aces. Now, how many aces in our deck of cards? 
Four. All right. So that's them. So number one was he purged the idols. Number two, he sought the Lord. We should seek the Lord. Number three, he cried and relied on and to the Lord. And number four, he recommitted him and his family to the Lord. So there's four aces in his hand. If you had four aces at the table, would you play them and bet all in? Yeah, you would. Because there's only, I'm not a big poker player, but there's only like a royal or straight flush that can beat it. That's, all, that's it. Okay. So Asa did a lot of good things in his, I think this is 35 years through his reign of king. He did those four things. We should learn from those four aces. We should apply those to our lives. But King Asa didn't play his hand. Unfortunately, he didn't play his hand. Second Chronicles 16. In the 36th year of his reign of Asa, Basa, king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might permit no one to come out or go in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa took silver and gold from the treasures of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, There is a covenant between me and you, and there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending to you silver and gold. Go, break your covenant with Basa, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. And Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel, and they conquered a bunch of other names. Okay? All right. So, Kevin, why would you just read that? All right. Brother Brian, can you put up the map? I'm going to explain to you what I just read. Okay? Because I felt like it was Greek to me. If it was Greek to me, I'm sure it felt like Greek to you. Okay. So... You got, all right, so you got three people, three people. You got King Asa, you got Ben-Hadad, and then you have Basa. You got three people. Almost there. All right, beautiful, thank you. All right, so history lesson today too. Sorry kids, you can't get away from it. All right, so Judah, King Asa, King of Judah, okay? Southern part, okay? Basa, king of Israel, green part, okay? So right in the middle between, you see Jerusalem and Jericho right there in the middle? All right, right between Jerusalem and Jericho, King Basa from Israel at the north started to build a fort that essentially would stop all trade and commerce and cut off Judah, King Asa, to cut him off from all the wealth and prosperity that he needed. Okay? So what happened is, King Asa went up there. There was another king, and that was Ben-Hadad. He was above him, kind of like in the Aram section, Damascus section, way up there. He ruled that territory up there. So essentially, there was a fight in the middle of the land, a fort being built in the middle of the land. Actually, there wasn't a fight. There was a fort being built in the middle. King Asa went to the king in the north territory and said, hey, attack him. And he attacked Basa in the middle. And so the king took his army and folks from building that fort in the middle to defend his northern territory. Okay? Everybody kind of follow that history? Quick history lesson? Okay? 
What did we just talk about King Asa did? He was what? Outnumbered? Out? Equipment? <laughs> right? Sword versus chariot? But what did he do? Look at verse 3 again. 16 verse 3. It says, There is a covenant between me and you, as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending to you silver and gold. Go, break your covenant with Basa, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. They all had peace treaties. King Asa just bought out the northern kingdom. He just bought them out. And what King Asa did is he taught the ungodly king of Ben-Hadad how to act ungodly. A godly man just showed another ungodly king how to act ungodly. That's like a pastor telling the robber how to rob a bank. That's like a deacon telling his kids how to cheat on a test are things that we kind of relate to. Now this was at a much bigger political level, of course, and at a different time. But can you see how bad that is? Can you see how much faith he had in himself? You think God liked that? Nope, he didn't like it. I would have rather have been this prophet back in verse 15 or chapter 15 because in 16:7 it says, At that time Hananiah the seer came to Asa king of Judah and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. You have done foolishly in this, and from now on you will have wars. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in the stocks in prison, for he was enraged with him because of this. And Asa inflicted cruelties upon some of the people at the same time. He didn't play his hand. He didn't play his hand. He played his hand. Anybody ever watch World Series of Poker? It's been a couple years since I played it. He had a hand that couldn't be beat. He had a land purged of idols. Him and his kingdom was seeking the Lord. He cried and relied on the Lord. He continuously recommitted, but his pride got in the way. His experience became prideful and got in the way. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. And that's the eyes again. The eyes of God are watching us. Proverbs 11.2 says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. Is wisdom. And then to finish the story of King Asa up, it says the acts of Asa from first to last are written in the book of Kings of Judah. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa diseased in the feet, and his disease became severe. 
Yet even as his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but sought help from physicians. And Asa slept with his fathers, dying in the 41st year of his reign. They buried him in the tomb, and he had cut for himself in the city of David. They laid him on a briar buyer that had been filled with various kinds of spices prepared by a perfumer's art, and they made a very great fire in his honor. There's nothing wrong with seeking help from a physician. Asa's fault was, look carefully at the text, it says, yet in his disease he did not seek the Lord. He did not seek the Lord when he needed him the most. So what do we have in our lives that we need to purge out, right? What do we have in there? What do we need to do to seek God more? And is it a time to cry and rely in your life? And it is a time to recommit our lives to Christ. Because what Asa taught us is that you can start strong and you can run the race strong, but he didn't finish it. He didn't finish it. And this application applies for everyone here today, no matter your age, because you may think you know where the finish line is at, but you don't. We don't know where the finish line is at. Used to run track. 400 meters. 400 meters. Just like any problem in life, you break it down. 400 meters is one time around the track. And you have to change your strategy from the first 100 meters to the second 100 meters, the third 100 meters, and the fourth section to get there. The last 100 meters, do you coast in? You don't coast in on those last 100 meters. Because somebody's going to get you. And that person might trip you up. You don't coast in. You don't give up. You push to the finish line. You focus on the goal. And that's the one thing I want to leave you with today is that we don't know where that finish line is. So we must hold those four aces close and we must play them every day by purging, seeking the Lord, crying and relying and recommitting to our Savior Jesus Christ. Let's stand.